Instead of this thing going on, kidney stone, there's no pain yet, but the doctor said it is coming. <laughs> so they're going to try to break it up sonically, I guess, on the 30th. So pray that until they do that, either it goes real quickly or it doesn't go at all. Because <laughs> I'm not one to enjoy pain. I don't think any of us do. But it's interesting how <clears throat> the Word of God. Uh, touches our hearts and, and ministers to us. And we started this series, um, Keep Up the Fight, uh, two weeks ago. And it was anticipation um, of July 4th. And I thought, well, you know, a lot of us, especially Christians, have kind of given up, thrown in the towel, waved the white flag, whatever, on our country. And it was really meant to encourage us to realize that, hey, God may be or he may not be done with America. And uh, the way we're going, it doesn't look good, but I think we always need to be um, reticent of the fact that God does have a plan and his purpose is being carried out. And we shouldn't grow in our concern to the point of despair. And uh, while preparing and doing this weeks ago, actually about a month and a half ago, um, it's funny, the first Sunday I preached, as I was preaching the message, I began to realize, wow, because of this medical thing, you know, you get a number from a test on a piece of paper, and your mind goes to all, all kinds of places, at least for a few hours. And uh, uh, I remember thinking, wow, this is kind of applying to me. <laughs> and I was kind of preaching to myself. And then I thought, well, wow, this seems kind of self-serving. But I thought, no, someone else needs to hear this as well. Because that wasn't the original tent of the series, but um, God had a different uh, idea in mind. So I appreciate him for his care and his concern. So we've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so you can turn in your Bibles there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And really this series is meant to remind us that everything around us is temporary. Uh, all that we see, all that we experience, all this is temporary. And we're really yearning, we're longing for that day when we will be ushered into the eternal. When our bodies will be transformed and we will be out of the presence of sin. And what a wonderful day that will be. Amen? And we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 7, 31 and 1 
John 2, 17, that the form of this world, everything we experience, is passing away. And so Paul really wants us to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. And he's really stressing the importance of having not an earthly perspective on life, but a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. And he, he reminds us in Corinthians verse 14, he who raised him in the same chapter 4, he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us and uh, we will, he will be present with us and with you. And so that's a wonderful thing. And, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Things which eye has not heard nor ear, eye has not seen nor ear ha- has heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. What a wonderful day that will be. And Philippians reminds us in chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, that our citizenship, Paul writes, is in heaven. It's not here on earth. And from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the extension of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And even Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, what? Set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And so as we contemplate that, um, you know, I want to think back when I was a child and I remember watching TV down in the basement and once in a while, a brother or sister, maybe my mother, uh, mother-in-law would, or my, uh, yeah, mother and or no, my sister-in-law would come down, excuse me, <laughs> sister-in-law would come downstairs and uh, she's the one that kind of, Raised, raised us after my parents passed away, and, and she'd always say, you're sitting too close to the TV. <laughs> Move back. You're going to go blind. You remember that? And, and anymore, that's not an issue anymore because we have these huge TVs, right? I mean, you don't need to sit close to them. Um, today, I think more relevant would be the computer screen, right? I mean, a lot of us spend a lot of time sitting in front of a screen, uh, some people more than others. But... Um, Whether you do that or not at your job, we all have a screen in front of us, whether it's our cell phone or iPad or whatever. And uh, when you stare at a a computer screen, an electronic screen for an extended period of time, um, those who study the eye and and our vision tell us that after a while, you just, everything gets blurry. You ever notice that? And um, the words get blurry. Your head kind of fills with a fog, you might say. And... um, you're, you're staring more, you're blinking less, your eyes tend to dry out, and uh, you're, you're squinting, and you don't even realize it. But it's just that, that stress of being sitting there in front of that, and that fog fills your mind, and the tension begins to build up. And, and what happens over a period of time, those who deal with people, employees who spend a lot of time in front of computer screens, realize that their efficiency goes way down. They just stop being efficient in their work because they're, they're filled with a fog and they can't see. And, and experts say that the simple solution to the problem is a solution they call the 20-20-20 rule. Have you ever heard of that? The 20-20-20 rule. If, you're vol- if your job involves sitting for a portion of the day in front of a computer screen or looking at something close up even, um, every 20 minutes we're told to take 20 seconds away from the screen and look intently 
at something about 20 feet away and stare at it for about 20 seconds, and then you can go back to work. And experts say this actually works to the point where companies encourage their employees to do that. Uh, and what they found is it actually resets the process of your vision. And it helps you, once again, to begin to kind of reset and, and to focus on the things that you're trying to work on. And people who have actually tried this say it works. It works very well. So try that next time. If you're feeling a little blurry in front of a computer screen, just stop, take 20 seconds, and stare at something about 20 feet away, and then re-engage. And I think you'll, you'll find that, that does, it does work. Well, there's, a, I believe, a correlating spiritual principle that we can draw from that. And it serves us well. Um, and it's this. When you keep your eyes focused on that which is in the distance... It helps you to keep your eyes focused on that which is very close. When you keep your eyes focused on that which is in the distance, it helps you to keep your eyes focused on that which is very close. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, that's what our message today is all about. We're in work week three of this message, this little series. We'll get back into 1 Corinthians next week, but... Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've been talking about keeping up the fight. And uh, it's a series based on what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, therefore, do not lose heart. It's a series about not giving up, not waving the white flag, not throwing it in, uh, and even not giving into the desire to give up or, or to, to retreat in despair. Because when we lose heart, especially as Christians, when we lose heart, we become discouraged, we become deflated, and you know what? Joy does not fill our hearts, despair does. As a matter of fact, I've seen Christians who I know are Christians, I mean, by their lifestyle and everything, they're, they're legitimately followers of Christ, but they've allowed themselves to go to a point of complete despair. And then depression sets in, and one thing after another, and it's just a gradual decline. But thanks be to God, we don't need to lose heart, amen? That's the good news, and that's what hopefully you're getting out of this series. And so we started this back on July 4th with the anticipation of looking at our country, but even more so, our own lives. And uh, so we don't want to throw in the, the towel or raise the white flag on our society, on our culture, on our own marriage, our children, whatever it might be that affects you. Uh, and even though it seems very tragic to what's going on all around us politically and morally, I mean, it's, it's a cesspool out there, um, not only just our own country, but the whole world. Would you agree? I mean, it, it's everything, it seems. We must not lose heart because, you know what? God is still in control of everything. He still is. This, this is part of his plan. This perfectly fits in with his plan. And so we must remember this somehow fits into his overall plan. And so like I said, when I started this and then the, the health thing came up and I thought, oh, wow, this is kind of applying to me personally, you know, and so you begin to process that. And so it's, it's important to, to realize that, hey, you know what, we, we all need to have that eternal perspective. Well, the first week we looked at how Paul talked about his need for daily renewal. Um, he said that he didn't lose heart because he is inwardly renewed every day. 
and we talked about how that was accomplished. It involves making an effort to change um, what you think about and how you think about it. It involves spending time alone with God each day and letting the Holy Spirit minister to us through His Word and through prayer. It also involves making each day um, a spiritually uplifting activity. If you're just spending time in dark areas and, and not places that are spiritually uplifting, then you know what? That's going to it's going to roll over onto you, and you're pretty soon you're going to feel the despair and the discouragement. Um, it's good to laugh. It's good to relax. It's good to share moments of remembrance with family and friends. And so last week, the second week, we talked about refusing to give in to that temptation, the attitude of, well, what's the use? I've heard so many Christians say that. I'm never going to vote again. What's the use? <laughs> it doesn't count anyway. You know, and uh, whether it's your health or whether it's whatever, you don't have that kind of attitude. That, that comes from a, a, a futile outlook on life, a fatalistic outlook on life. God doesn't want us to walk around like Eeyore, you know, oh, woe is me. You know, he, he wants us to have a joy and a spring in our step. And whatever comes down the pike, we need to re- be reminded that, you know what, God has a purpose and a plan for it. There's no such thing as futility in the life of a believer. It shouldn't be there. We shouldn't have that feeling. So we have to remind ourselves as often as necessary that when we're dealing with today, uh, what we're dealing with today, it's temporary. It's not a permanent thing. Um, It's a vapor. It's a little blip on the radar screen of eternity. And it is no match, as we found out last week, for the glory that God has planned for us. Uh, the situation you find yourself in today that may be discouraging is not uh, eternal. It won't last forever. But the good news is you will. You will last forever. And by the power of God and his work within you, he will transform you eventually into that glorious state. Um, and so today we want to look at the third reason why we need not lose heart as believers And so I want you to stand as I just read this portion of Scripture for us in honor of God's Word. Um, And we'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul says, though our outward self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, we ask that you would apply these words, especially verse 18, to our hearts today as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The NIV reads, we, uh, uh, as we fix our eyes, and that's what I want to talk about today. What are we fixing our eyes on? What are we focusing on? Um, That's what that means. When we look at something intently, what are we looking at? What's catching our attention? Um, If we are looking where we should be looking, guess what? Our vision will increase. But if we're sitting too close to the TV every day, (laughs) then guess what? It's probably going to harm 
our vision. That's where that 20-20-20 rule helps us because sometimes we've been staring at our trials way too long because they're up close and personal. And we just need to stop and we need to step away and we need to say, wait a minute, what is the eternal perspective on this? And when we fix our eyes exclusive, exclusively on that which is good, God's word, God's promises for us, when we fix our eyes on that, what do we do? We improve, we repair our spiritual vision. Because sometimes it's easy to look around or read newspaper or watch the news if you choose to do that. I don't know why you would, but uh, you know it, it's very depressing at times. And when you fill your mind with that, I mean, I used to be a news junkie going into this last election. A news junkie, I mean, there's you know, constant, constant intake of news. And then it dawned on me, this probably is not a good steward, being a good steward of my time. I'm filling my heart and my mind with all this garbage, and half, three-quarters of it, 99% of it is not even true. <laughs> so, you know, you tend to believe things that are just dished out to you when we're told to do just the opposite. We're told to bring every thought into captivity, bring it into the captivity of God's word. And so, when our long-distance vision is good, we are able to see clearly that which is immediately in front of us, such as our problems, our trials, our tribulations, and we're more able to effectively tend to the task at hand. And so today, in the last message of this little three-part series, I want to talk about fixing our eyes or focusing our eyes on those things that really matter. Because... If we're looking where we should be looking, and if we're seeing what we should be seeing, then we will not, we cannot lose heart. Because I don't know if you read the end of the book, but guess what? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on a winning team. We win in the end. Even through all the despair, we still win. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And so there's a lot of hope to be had. And so when Paul says in verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We want to look at three unseen yet eternal principles, uh, what we should be fixing our eyes on each and every day as believers. Uh, and if these are priorities, if these are the fixation of our focus each and every day, then guess what? You're not going to lose heart when the storms of life are raging all around us because you're focused on God's word, you're focused on God's plan, you're focused on God's sovereign, gracious will. We'll stay strong. And so let's look at the first one here. And I'm sure you, this is, doesn't take a rocket scientist, right? The first one is fix your eyes on what? On Jesus. This is kind of obvious. You know, it's kind of like in vacation, vacation Bible school, you know, when, when the teacher asks a question. All you have to say is, Jesus, and usually you got it right. You know, you probably got an 85% chance that the, the answer is going to be Jesus. You know, that's just how it works. Um, well, that's the way it is here. Um, you know, in the Christian life, when your first answer to every problem you face is Jesus, guess what? You've got a 100% chance of getting it right every time. Every time. And we often want to focus on everything but Jesus, we want to focus on our troubles. We want to focus on all the things that we're going through at the cur current moment um, because part of us knows we, they can't be avoided when we're going through them. And we have to deal with them sooner or later. But it kind of becomes like you're staring at that computer screen up close for a long period of time. 
And guess what? When you stare at your trials for a long period of time up close, they distort and they really blur our vision spiritually. And so when we look away from our problems and focus on the eyes of Jesus, of Christ, we begin to see our situation in a, with a new clarity. And, and that's very important for us to understand. In the book of Hebrews, over in Hebrews chapter 11, kind of uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about this. He's talking about Moses' courage. Uh, Emmanuel read about uh, uh, Moses this morning, but uh, Moses' courage in leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he says in verse 27, Hebrews verse, chapter 11, verse 27, he says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is what? Invisible, it says. A few verses later, down, uh, down a little further there in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think it's interesting. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, if there's one place you want to go to um, when you're in need of someone's advice, maybe it's a mechanical issue. You know, um, maybe your, your car broke and you need to get it fixed, and you want to make sure you're doing the right thing. You're going to go to talk to someone who's an expert, hopefully, or at least says they're an expert, in the autom automotive field, right? You want to talk to somebody. I mean, if you could talk to the person that put that car together and understands every facet of that car, designed that car, and knows how it should run when it's running properly, if you could talk to them, you would go to them, wouldn't you? The, the originator of that vehicle? I would. I would want to know everything about that car. I wouldn't want to talk to somebody who, who never looked at it before. You know, those are always uh, tough words when you go to the auto mechanic and your car isn't working and, you know, you call them in. You, you know, they call you up in about an hour after they, they've looked over your car and they say, you know, I've never seen anything like this before. And, oh, you're going, oh, great. <laughs> Why'd I bring this thing to you? And so we need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And as we look at these verses today in 2 Corinthians 14. Um, this isn't the first time Paul has kind of uh, focused on this because we see the emphasis of how um, the idea of Jesus above all else is really permeated throughout 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. In verse 5, for example, he says, For what we proclaim, 2 Corinthians 14, 5, is not ourselves. I pray that you know, we don't proclaim ourselves here at Grace Bible Church, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. <laughs> and then down in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 14, he says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. See, when your problems loom large, we need to step aside for a moment and look to Jesus. We need to focus on his ministry. We need to focus on his death. We need to focus on his resurrection. We need to focus on him as a teacher, as a healer, even his life as a carpenter sometimes. We need to focus on him. 
Our eyes need to be turned to Christ because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He knows us better than anyone does. And yet, sometimes, even at church, we direct our attention to everything but his presence. You know, we, we get misled. We see the shiny thing over here, and we're focusing on that, and Christ is saying, no, 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 no. You need to be looking to me. Um, we know he's with us, right? As a believer, we know that. He promises that. We've sung about that this morning. It's not that we don't know he's with us, but we just don't give him the proper attention that we need to. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus would want to wave his hand in our direction and say, hey, you know, I'm over here. I, I'm the one you need to be focused on. Look this way. Sometimes during worship services, I've wondered if he would say that, especially today, as we get focused on so many other things. Uh, sometimes when I'm going through the day, I wonder if he would say that. What are you focusing on, Steve? Um, every day of our lives need to set, every day of our lives we need to set our problems aside, and we need to turn, as the hymn says, our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace see paul said he doesn't lose heart because he stays focused on that which is eternal his eyes are fixated like a laser beam on jesus christ well secondly not only do we need to fix our eyes on christ but i believe for believers especially, we need to fix our eyes on those whom you are called to serve. And yes, you are called to serve, just as I am called to serve. See, the misnomer in the church is, no, the person up here does all the serving. No, that's wrong. Or the elders, they do all the serving. No, or the deacons or whoever. No, the body of Christ is, is meant to come together to be edified, right, by the, the word of truth. Why? So that they can minister so that they can minister to the rest of the body. And at the beginning of the chapter, all the way back, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at what he says in verse 1. Therefore, having the min this ministry by the mercy of God. In other words, you know, God has allowed us to be his ministers. What a privilege that is. So many times I run into Christians like, ah, I don't serve at the church again. You know, it's like, wow. Do you understand that this is by the mercy of God that you, he has gifted you? That you are privileged with the opportunity to serve him and serve his body as the church? And then he says, we do not lose heart. All the way back in verse 1 of chapter 4. Um, why? Why didn't Paul lose heart? He says, because we have a work to do. You know, we have something to do here, folks. And it, it simply does not allow us any time or any room to lose heart. We don't get to sit around and pout that things didn't go our way. No, we're, there's, there's souls that weigh in the balance as we serve the Lord. And you notice he says there that we have this ministry He's not talking about some big organization. Paul wasn't the CEO of the, the Paul's Evangelism Club or whatever. Um, he, you know, he didn't have an organization. 
He wasn't in the process of building a, a giant ministry empire with his name label and every, labeled all over everything. Um, there was no ministry headquarters. There was no marketing team that Paul had surrounded himself with. There was no administrative staff. There was no product line to produce. Like the guys on TV, you know, when you send us a love gift, we'll send you this commemorative plaque or whatever it might be. See, Paul's ministry was not, not an organization. And so many times I see people from the secular side of things, and they are involved in organizations, obviously, because that's what their daily life is. They work in an organization. And then they come and they get involved in the church, and what happens is they try to bring all that organization into the church. That's, that's, there's no place. Now, we can learn from those things. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some organizational principles that you need to understand. But at the same time, we don't ever want to look at our church as simply an organization. Why? What is the church? Church is an organization. It's an organism. It's made up of people. It's a, it's a living thing. It's focused on people. And that's why Paul says here, you know what? We don't preach about ourselves. We don't focus on ourselves Every once in a while, you see particularly churches that have really become all about their church, their organization. They do preach themselves, so to speak. And you just need to understand that, you know what, a, a church has never saved anyone. It's Christ that saves. You know, and this is why we focus on what Jesus can do, not what we can do. Because we just focus on what we can do, man. We're we're going to be, you know, out of the not not coming out of the gates too well. Um, sometimes you see in front of some churches, you know, a, a certain church, such and such church meets here, like it has that in front of the church building. And I thought that's intriguing to me. You know, they're they're setting apart the building. They're making a distinction from the building and their church. So many times we correlate. The building as the church. Guess what? This building isn't the church. You are the church. We are the church. The people are the church. We don't exist for a building or a piece of property. That building exists for us to help us minister more efficiently and serve others and to have a place to gather. The work that God has called you to do and called me to do, no matter what it is, it involves what? Serving people. It involves serving people. You can't be an island unto yourself in the Christian faith. You can't be a spectator. Christ has never called us to be spectators. We don't get to sit in the stands. That's not what the church is about. The church is about serving. And so it's important to understand, well, okay, I'm going to come to your church, but now you want me to serve? Yeah. That's just common sense. You should want to serve. If you know what Christ has done for you and you understand that you're saved, and there's ways that you could serve. I mean, we're not going to do the homework for you. You've got to figure it out. How has God gifted you? Come and talk to us. Yeah, I want to serve here. I want to serve there. I mean, maybe you're gifted musically. You can help us out with worship. Maybe you're gifted technology or serving or praying or there's so many different things. And so all, the ultimate pass, 
fail in your work is not what you accumulate, but in the hearts you reach and the lives that you help change. That's what's important when it comes to ministry. Paul went so far as to say that he is willing to endure hardship because the people he is called to serve are worth it. (laughs) Sometimes I don't think we believe that. You know, I said jokingly to somebody because I heard somebody else say it. And I, and I, I thought, wow, I, I kind of kicked myself after I said it because it sounds kind of callous. But, you know, those of you who know me know that I'm not a, a, a real social kind of person, you know. I mean, it kind of drains me to be in a crowd of people. Not that I don't enjoy it, but it's just, you know, I walk away where other people are energized by that. You understand? They're just different personalities. And I mentioned to somebody, I said, yeah, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. What a stupid statement, right? I mean, I get the gist of it, what you're saying, but it's a, it's a dumb statement to make. Because if it wasn't for the people, there'd be no ministry. And so we need to make sure that we understand. He, he talks about all the hardships that Paul faced. In verse, verse 12 there, he says, So death is at work in us, but life in you. In verse 15, he says, For it is for your sake. It is all for your sake. This is what Paul is explaining to the people he's writing to. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See, we do not lose heart when we're able to remember those whom God has called us to serve. That it matters how we live as a believer. Why? Because people are dependent on you to live and be credible in your, in your faith. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a father, whether you're a mother, whether you're a grandmother. And you need to understand that, you know, it has more to do about other people than it does about you. And that's where, unfortunately, the Corinthians didn't get this right, as we've learned, right? In 1 Corinthians, it was all about them. You know, they were suffering from a me mentality, not a we mentality. Now, sometimes when you serve other people, um, I mean, the reality of the matter is um, sometimes they don't understand how your service will benefit them. They don't understand that at all. And sometimes they're not fully aware of how your service is helping them. You may, be, you may want to serve in a certain area and people you know, aren't running up to you going, oh, you're doing a wonderful job. You're doing a great job. Your efforts at times might not be fully appreciated. That's how we feel when we serve. But guess what? (laughs) We're not working for their appreciation, right? We're not doing it to get a pat on the head. Oh, good boy. Um, We're working for what? Their benefit. When you serve others, you're always doing it for the benefit of them. You're not doing it for your own good. And I think no one understands that better than parents, right? Sometimes our kids don't fully grasp the significance of the sacrifices that a lot of moms and dads make for their benefit. They just don't get it. And parents, you know, maybe they never will. But that doesn't mean you stop serving them, right? From from the time they're little, you serve them. And you continue to serve them. We don't serve others so they will appreciate us and pat us on the back. We serve others so that we can benefit them, benefit their lives. And that applies to everyone who's been called to serve. That's what Timothy, 
heard from Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And trust me, he endured a lot. Um, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal joy. See, Paul had an eternal perspective. He wasn't focused on, oh, these people don't care about my teaching. These people aren't supportive. These people aren't praying for me. Whatever. He, he could have very easily said that because he received so much criticism, even within the church as an apostle. He received a lot of criticism. He could have thrown his hands up and said, oh, the heck with this. I'm out of here. But that's not what he did. I mean, as far as ministry goes, I think everybody, whether you're a pastor or a layman in ministry, every now and then your mind is filled with the thought of tossing in the towel, retreating, waving the white flag. And what prevents you from doing that is knowing that God has placed on your life a, a calling, a certain privilege to serve others. So how can I lose heart when I've been blessed with such a, a meaningful, such a, a blessed work that God has prepared for us? So we need to fix your eyes on those who you are called to serve and the service you are called to render, and you will not lose heart. So fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on others, and then lastly here, fix your eyes on God's ongoing work in your life. And this is an important one. In Philippians, Paul said that God began a work, and he's going to see it through. We sing a song, right? God began a good work in us. He'll see it through to completion. God doesn't get discouraged with us halfway through and go, you know, I can't do anything with you. You're on your own now. No, he doesn't ever do that. He's always there, faithful, no matter how many times we fail him, no matter how many times we, we, we end in defeat and sin and whatever, and we're back groveling at his feet. You know, we do that. God says, yeah, your sins are already forgiven. Get up and let's get on with it. But, you know, we, we feel the conviction of God's spirit, and we need to confess those sins. We need to say the same thing God says about those sins, that they're, they're dishonoring to him, and we don't want to do them again. And we do that. And the problem is with so many Christians, that's where they stay. They stay in that point of shame, in that, that point of despair, and pretty soon they stop coming to church, and, and pretty soon they're just isolated. That's the worst possible thing you could do. It doesn't matter whether you feel like coming to church or not, whether you feel like being around people or not. All those things are irrelevant. The Bible says very clearly we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And then notice it says, as is what? The habit of some. You know, it's very easy sometimes. You miss one Sunday, you miss two Sundays. Oh, let's say. Very easy. You know, there is such a thing as a godly habit. It's a good thing. You know, it would be to God that your neighbors go, where do you go every Sunday? At 9.45, every Sunday, like clockwork. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, pique their curiosity that way. And so don't lose sight of all that God is doing in your life. It begins when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's when he begins to work, and it continues until the day we see him face to face. So we don't arrive on this side of glory at some spiritual plane where we don't have to deal with sin and, oh, we've conquered that and we're, we're the spiritually elite. We know everything there is spiritual there is to know. No, 
all of us are what? In the work, the process, the Bible says, of sanctification, the process of being saved. Yeah, we're saved judicially by God's declaring us righteous. But the Bible also says that day by day, he's making us, he's rendering us, he's molding us, he's shaping us more like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that should be a wonderful process that we're going through. It's painful at times, but it's important that we realize that God is doing that. And that's why he says in verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God. By the mercy of God. Paul understood all along why he was a Christian. He never misunderstood that. He understood all along why he was an apostle. Why he was a church planter. Why he was a missionary. It wasn't because Paul was such a great guy. He didn't say, yeah, look at me. I'm the gift, gift of God to his church. No, that's not the attitude that he had. As a matter of fact, he had the complete opposite attitude. What do you say? I'm the chief of all sinners. And yet he wrote most of the New Testament. He understood that his life had significance only because, only because he was a sinner transformed by the grace of God. That's the only life that have any significance in all eternity, is that someone who's willing to admit that they're a sinner, and it doesn't take much to convince you of this, have you ever told a lie? Yes. Have you ever taken something irrespective of its value that wasn't yours? Have you ever sold anything? Yes. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Most of us would probably say yes. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Most of us would probably say yes. What does that make you? It would make you a lawbreaker. God says you shouldn't bear false witness. You shouldn't take things that aren't yours. You shouldn't steal you shouldn't use his name in a uh, wrong way. <clears throat> and so he wants us to understand that, wow, we're in great need of a Savior, that we need to be changed, we need to be transformed. And if the weight of your sin is bearing down on you this morning, there is an answer. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling that, 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 that conviction and that weight. I want you to know that Christ came. He lived a perfect life. For 30-some years here on this earth, he forsook heaven, came to earth, and lived for 30-some years. Then he willingly went to the cross for you, for me, and he died. He died as God's perfect sacrifice, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Bible says. And all we have to do is look to Christ, look to the cross, admit your own sinfulness before a holy God and say, there's, there's no way out of this. I mean, I, this isn't looking good as far as eternity goes because I know that I've done a, a lifelong series of sins that have garnered God's disapproval. And what am I to do with all this sin? You're to bring it to the cross. You're to bring it to Christ. And he willingly takes it upon himself and he bears God's wrath and God's judgment. He did all that at Calvary. That's why before he died, he says, it's finished. It's over. There's no other place to go. The game's already done. He is the victor. And so you need to turn to Christ. And the Bible says you turn from your sin to the Savior. You repent of your sin. You have a, a different attitude about your sin, a, a change of mind. 
and you want to do what's right. You want to follow Christ. If God is giving you those inclinations this morning, that's his spirit working within you, saying, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened. I'll take the burden upon me, and I'll carry it for you. He understood that his life had significance only because he was a sinner transformed by God's grace. We have this ministry only because of God's mercy. I mean, have you ever stopped and looked back at the person you used to be and then look at the person you are today? From the time you've come to Christ, from what it is today that your life looks like? I mean, I know you're not perfect. I mean, you know you're not perfect, right? You know, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But what's interesting is when you stop and you look at the whole picture, you, you, you begin to count ways that God has changed you, what God has brought you through. You look at the victories that he has allowed you to win, victory over sin, victory over failure, victory in the midst of, of a difficult battle maybe. See, when you follow Jesus, the victories just keep coming because we are victorious in Christ. Paul talks about this in verse 8. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8. He says, we are afflicted in every way, Paul says, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. See, he's not waving the white flag here. He's not saying, oh, let's throw in the towel. You know, it'd be different if he, if he says, well, we're afflicted in every way and we're perplexed and we're persecuted and we're struck down. Let's just go home. But that wasn't Paul's attitude. He's basically saying we're almost beaten. We're almost on our back looking at the lights. We're very close to it sometimes, would you admit, in life? Sometimes we feel that way. But guess what? We pull through every time. We pull through. Why? Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, God puts us in situations in life to show us this is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God working his plan through us. And he leads us to the edge of defeat sometimes to show us that because we need to be reminded of that. Remember when Tim Tebow was playing with Denver? Uh, it looks maybe he's going to play again, right, Mark? Maybe, Bob, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, th These verses, it reminds me of when Tim Tebow was playing with Denver. I mean, he always, the team always seems somehow to pull a victory out of what looked like certain defeat. I mean, always. I mean, there's like two minutes left in the game, and you're down by 15. I mean, most people say, there's no way. I mean, these are professionals you're playing. You know, it's not playing a bunch of little kindergarten kids. These are professional football players. How could you possibly win? And yet, somehow they do. They did. Week after week even in the second round of the playoffs. See, that's how God works in our lives, beloved. We face more than just a few close calls. We get knocked down, but you know what? We get back up again because you can't knock us out. 
because we win. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. See, God is on our side. We're on the side of righteousness. So when you're tempted to start waving that white flag, we need to stop. We need to look back and see all that God has done for us and what he has done to get us to the point we're at today. And you'll honestly say, yeah, there, there are times at times when we were at our wit's end. But we never had reason to lose hope, to lose heart. We knew that we wouldn't be abandoned because God's word says he won't. And we're living in God's power, not our own. So even when we feel powerless to do anything, we know that God is on our side. And before you even think about losing hope, focus all your attention on what God has done for you in your life. Some of you have been through some very tragic, heartfelt tragedies, and personal experiences. But you know what? Even those were meant and are from the hand of God. The mercy he has shown you through his son, Jesus Christ, the protection that he has given you every moment to where you're sitting here actually today, focusing on him. And then we get to focus on all the promises that he has to come. And that's where uh, verse 14, he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his eternal presence. We should long for that. 1 John 3, 2, John says, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Each and every one of us here today can say, My life has been tough in many ways. Every one of you. Why? Because life is tough. It's tough. Some people's lives may look easy from a distance, but you know what? You begin to realize they face just as many challenges as you or I do. We can all say with certainty that life has been tough. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can also say, but look at how far I've come. Look at the transformation that God has created in my life. Look at all that he has done for me. Look at where he's leading me. There's no turning back now. There's no turning away now. Sometimes in Sunday school, children will learn a basic Christian principle. It's there at the end of your outline. A good recipe for joy is basically putting Jesus first, others second, and what? Yourself last. See, these are eternal principles. These are unseen priorities. You live for Jesus, you serve others, and you think about yourself only in the context of God's ongoing work of grace in your life. And if all you can see today you see nothing but problems, nothing but futility in life, you won't see the, the treasure of God's plan for your life. You'll see only a jar of clay. 
Uh, but if you choose to see the unseen, if you look deep into the distance, you'll fix your vision. You fix your vision and you fix your eyes on that which really matters most of all. And that is loving Jesus with all of your heart, serving others, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life. And when you focus on the eternal, you're going to discover, on the eternal, you'll discover that you'll be able to see clearer the challenges that you face each and every day with greater clarity. And the further ahead you see, the greater your capacity to endure each and every day. And so look far, look deep into that which matters most and keep your eyes focused most of all, most of all on God on his son, on his word, and on his reason for leaving you here to serve the body of Christ. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that we don't have to live lives that are full of despair, uh, feeling futile. But Lord, that you do have a purpose, you have a plan, even for our own personal lives and for uh, our country. Lord, we don't claim to know what that is. Readily we admit it doesn't look good. morally, politically, on the landscape. But, Father, who knows? You could have another plan. You can turn this around just like you turned it around before. And, Father, personally, when we're facing situations that seem overwhelming, Lord, help us not to grow despair. Help us to have hope, fix our eyes on Christ. Thank God that he has called us to serve others. Keep our hearts and our minds focused on eternal things, not not everyday worldly things that compete for our attention. Lord, if, you're, if, if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, then, Lord, they, they really can't have an eternal perspective. Father, they, they think it's just the here and the now. But, Lord, your word says that there'll come a day when whether you return or we die, that we will face you personally. And the one question I believe you will ask is, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's the only answer to the problem we have. He's the only answer to the sin problem. He's the only answer to the, the great gulf that separates a holy God from a sinful man. And he willingly came here to live and to die and to be resurrected on the third day. And when we choose to look away from ourselves and our sin, and, and we look to the Savior. And we commit to follow Him. And your word says that you, you forgive us, you change us. You change our heart, you change our mind. You take away that burden of sin that we've been carrying for so long. And you make us a new person in Christ. And for the first time maybe in our lives, our step has a spring in it. And we realize that, wow, there's, there's much to be had here on the eternal landscape of the Christian life. And so we pray that you would allow your truth to penetrate our hearts. Help us as believers to recommit to serving you and figuring out what you want us to do to be part of your church. And Father, it's never too late to turn back to you. Father, just a simple prayer in the New Testament that was prayed, Lord, be gracious, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I think when that prayer is prayed from a sincere heart, 
with all the implications that that means, when it's sincere, Lord, you will draw that heart to yourself. So we pray that. We pray you bless our time of fellowship across the way as well. Bless this food that we'll partake of and bless our upcoming week. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen.